Welcome to the Veloce Podcast, fast and fluid conversation with Kat Empey and Richard Bott. Hello and welcome to the Veloce Podcast. So it's Kat and Rich again and Hello. it's episode 32 this week. So yeah, 32, eh? So what have we been up to this week? So, a bit of an unusual week. We have been to Silverstone, to yeah. the Porsche Experience Centre, but it was for Cupra yeah. this week rather than Porsche, which so is a little bit different. Yeah, they've hired it out a few times, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Um, yeah, they've done a few bits for Cupra, um, I don't know how long Cupra have been an individual brand, actually. I was trying to work yeah. that out, because I think they've been hiring out the facility... For probably three years or so. So have, yeah. um so it must have been going that long, but they've always used Seat platforms, haven't they? And we're gonna talk later about Cooper and where they're aiming to be, that yes, kind of thing. And their first um, pure non seat based model. Yeah, we'll and also here. their electric side as well. So we yeah. were very fortunate to do lots of testing in different Coopras um, and also what they're about to launch as well. So which I don't believe has been launched yet, the full electric model. So we were lucky that we got to see it and drive it as well. So we'll explain about that a bit later. But yeah, so at Porsche, but not really working with Porsche product, which is always a bit strange, but yeah. I guess they're under the VW umbrella, um, so I suppose that's why they use the facility because it's kind of like a proving ground, isn't it? In many respects, yeah, you've got yeah. different different areas and yeah. low grip areas, so it's great to to show um, VIP guests and all that kind of thing. So yeah, um, but also I talk about proving grounds. We've been at Millbrook, haven't we? We have, which we had was really quite interesting for lots of ways. Again, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but we took a new client there and did a mix sort of road and. Uh, Millbrook day didn't we? Yeah so. so we started off at Millbrook doing um, dynamics, um, handling track kind of stuff and then linking it back to the road with a half day road drive afterwards Yeah. Um, but yeah like Rich says it's, it's always an interesting place to go um, you have to have your cameras stick it up and all that kind of thing you're not allowed to film on site because there's a lot of um, all sorts of models isn't there, there that, is, have, yeah. that haven't launched yet so they're kind of stick it up um, yeah you get all sorts of stuff you get the army SAS all sorts of training as well so yeah it's very strict and confidential so unfortunately we weren't able to film any of it but we've got um, some really cool things to talk about a bit later on haven't we we have yeah yeah um, and also then Sarah as well so yes. Sarah did her final round at Snetterton which was great um, because she started her first ever race at Snetterton, so we got a really good benchmark to see how much she's come on. How many seconds was it? From where she was when, yeah. in June. Was it 11 or something? It was 11 seconds, I think. 11 yeah. seconds, so um, that's a big game <laughs> in quite a short, yeah. condensed... It's all down um, to the coaching. Yeah, exactly. Well, hopefully it kind of is, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she's she's really progressed a hell of a lot in a short space of time. You think that's all in less than a year? Um, yeah, it, we're really dead chuffed with that. Um, she did really well. It was very difficult conditions, but she was third fastest in race one, second fastest in race two. Uh, which we just was got very to develop, wet as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we just got to develop her car control a bit more. So that's what we're going to work on over the winter, like we do with a lot of drivers, um, is do a winter program effectively. Um, and make sure they can really get a head start before the next season. Whereas a lot of drivers potentially don't do much. You might do a bit of fitness and things, but they really stop with the track stuff. But now we've got simulators and also, like we said, proving grounds as well as as well as normal track circuit stuff. There's a lot you can do and utilise whilst you're you know in your off season as such. So it gets you ahead of the game really. Mm. So we're, yeah, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. So if we move on to road cars then, yes. 
And we'll start obviously with Cupra, yes. as we've just been, um, you know, exploring Absolutely. their cars. Absolutely. So, so from what we learnt on the day is that, that Cupra's plan is to is to sit between Volkswagen and Audi. So higher level than Volkswagen, lower level than Audi. Mm. I'm not sure there was room there personally, yeah. but well, I misunderstood <laughs> it because Cupra always used to be so with Seat. If you had the Cupra model, that was the most sporty, exciting model you could get. A bit like the M badge and um, AMG. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. yeah. Um, so I misunderstood it. I thought Cooper were going to be this really, really sporty brand, but apparently no. That's not where they're going with it. Even though they they're bound to have sporty products, but that's not really what they're aiming for. They're aiming to sit above VW. So let's say above sort of the Golf R, that kind of thing, um, but below Audi. Um, so they feel there's a gap in the market, and they want to fill that gap. Now, time will tell if there really is a gap, uh, but we were a bit surprised only because VW has so much heritage that it's a real ask to sit above them but below Audi. And I would say if you're in that kind of market, all you're doing is you're shifting sales from one brand to another. You're not getting new brand people, yeah. I would say. But we'll, Yeah, you know. they obviously feel different. Yes. And I'm sure they've done a lot of market research on this. Um, but of course, as, as you know, the, the general public, you kind of think... Uh, is there really a, a, an opportunity here? But we, we will see. So we, we got to try the new Fomenter, didn't we? Which is a, we did. We an did. SUV kind of crossover, yes. isn't it? Yes. Um, we're seeing lots of those on the road. Actually, we're driving up from Millbrook and I was counting randomly because I was bored um, how many small SUVs there are on the road now. And it seems to be the biggest market. Now, totally not my market, I have to say. Me either. Um, but it, it, in general, it seems to be the most wanted type of car in the UK now, isn't it? Yes. So what so, did you think to the Fomenter? Well, the Fomenter is the first non-Seat best based yes. Cupra. Because that's going to be their biggest else. problem, I think, is everybody's going to always say that. Yeah. Um, but this is not a Seat. It's a pure yeah. Cupra product. The first one, isn't it? Because we've had Cupra models before, but it's always been a Seat underneath, yes. basically. So you get a Cupra it? Alteca, which is a Seat Alteca. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So it's got um, a few more bells and whistles on it, that kind of thing. But really, it's a Seat. Yes. So this is different, isn't it? Yes. Um, and I thought... They've gone. They've played it very, very safe. Uh, unlike with the Bourne, which I'll talk about in a minute, and I think they played it very, very safe. It, I thought it, it, it's it's quite a bland car. I thought. Yeah. So it it kind of looked um, like a big cash guy. Yeah, me. I was going to say it reminds me of a cash guy, really, and probably a more sexy version. In fairness. To yeah, it. and the interior um, was pretty. I liked yeah. some of the design details in the interior. I thought the seats were great. Yeah. You know, there's some nice finishing touches with the car. Um, I wasn't keen. We're all going this way now with all manufacturers, but it was like a massive iPad yeah, in the middle, which um, and which I wasn't really into. I have to say, no. um, it's like ten inches or something, and it's it's quite a big thing to have on the dash. And to be honest, it just makes you think iPad each time, and you've got your different apps. <laughs> That's how it looks, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, that didn't blow me away. Um, but I thought the front of the car looks really really good, and they've styled it so. You can really see the bonnet. Yes, so it makes you I like feel that sitting in a it. lot lower. Yeah. Even though it's an SUV, so of course you're you're sat higher than you think. So that's very clever because it does make you feel really in it, not perched on top. Whereas a lot of SUVs, you do feel sort of sat on top of it, don't you? Yeah, you do. Um. Yeah. So so I thought that was a really cool design feature. But as you get towards the back of the car, personally, it starts to look too much like it. Too many other things. Everything else, yeah. So I think the, the front, they've done a really good job. A lot of the interior, they've done a good job. 
to be fair, it handles pretty well. Um, I think for, you know, something that is quite heavy and top heavy. It was very neutral though, wasn't it? Yeah, it, I mean, you could do pretty much anything with it. Yeah, it's pretty As I know, I was trying to get somebody to um, skid it basically on the ice hill and um, it didn't want to do anything, no, even do with, with ESC off and, and that it just wasn't, ha wasn't happening. Um, which is kind of credit really to the car, isn't it? What it's capable Chassis of. Chassis engineering, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. So, so in that sense, there's lots of perks to it. I suppose if you look at it, if you're not necessarily that into cars, um, <laughs> then you've got a great all-round vehicle, haven't you, in many yes, respects? and a bit different, I suppose, in some ways. Yeah, you know. yeah. So, um, But it, I guess we're probably not the right market, are we, really? Because we're so, <laughs> you know, very kind of sporty, don't want SUVs. Um, but, well, the thing is know, with them is that everything's a compromise to me. Yeah. You know, because it's now, you've raised the centre of gravity, so it's now on stilts mm -hmm. so it's never going to do anything particularly well yeah it's always going to be a compromise and generally you're fine with them that the ride's horrific yeah because they have to make them very stiff otherwise they don't handle you know yeah yeah and then it's, they don't have the off-road capability yeah because... they're not really an off-roader but that said like, like i just said on summer tires trying to get the thing to move on a very slippery surface and it wouldn't have it I yeah that's actually really impressive yeah um so so yeah so there's this kind of i can see what they're trying to do and there is a big market there isn't there in general for suvs and these smaller suvs um but probably not aimed at us but they have different categories like any manufacturer don't they so they've got a vz one which is kind of all the bells and whistles it's basically golf far on stilts yeah but it's over <laughs> 40 grand as well so um that's where for me it starts to be a head scratcher because once you're getting into that price bracket you're competing with a lot of things and well, you're I'm into, probably... you're, sure you're into audis and things at that point but uh, yeah exactly. it's all down to the monthlies i guess yeah well that's that's what they'll probably achieve but there was something that did catch my eye which is the cooper board yes. which i don't believe they've launched yet no but we were very lucky to see it and drive it weren't we yeah it's a good looking so, car yeah so it's a full electric car um so it's based on the id3 model it's kind it? of a golf sized electric yeah. Volkswagen, isn't it but it's to be in my opinion far more sexy than oh that. definitely it looks really it's the first electric car I have to say that's really caught my eye. It looks brilliant. It has these awesome wheels on it. Um, and it just looks like it means business. It, like it genuinely looks really sexy and sporty. Where the ID3 um, doesn't, the ID3 looks a bit, uh, it looks like an electric car. Because it looks a bit plasticky and a bit, you know, yeah. you're not quite sure what it wants to be. The front isn't that good it's looking not. is it really well this is a good looking car oh it, it is um so it's got it's got more range hasn't it as well it's got yeah well it said when i got in it and drove it it said 330 mile range i guess it depends on how you drive it uh, yeah like fuel they're not uh, saying yes. that they're saying 260 but that's a reasonable range exactly yeah absolutely um okay it, it's quite plain inside isn't it a but, little bit, but yeah. then i do think a lot of cars aren't now <laughs> to be honest because we're going so digital with everything yeah but that's kind of making it a bit more plain in general, isn't yeah, it? it is, um, yeah. In some respects. But yeah, it's really caught my eye. So it's a really sporty edge. Um, I think that if anybody's looking at electric car in the future, this could be a car that would catch your eye because it, it looks the part. It's got good range on it. Like you said, it depends how you drive, but that's the case for anything with fuel or anything. It all depends on how you drive. Um, but the start I... point is what, 32 grand? Yes. So that that's not that bad, really. No. But something that's a good range. Good finish, electric, the electric like, car. The other one I like is the Honda E. I think that's yeah. a cool looking car, but the range on that's like 130 miles or something. Yeah, so this is where I think... So if this, you is, were, this is a lot better for range. Because I'm 
I'm I'm not into electric cars yet. Obviously, I know at some point I'll probably have to be unless Porsche hurry up with uh, Formula One with this fully synthetic fuel, which F1 actually did announce the other day. So I saw that yes. um, on motorsport app. So um, yeah, so we'll see. But <laughs> but yeah, this is the first time it's properly caught my eye. So we'll we'll, we'll see when it launches. I think it's not going to be available to next year, is it? Yeah, for, that's what they're saying. For, um, yeah. for the UK market, but yeah, certainly something to Google and have a little look at. So the other thing then, which is at a past street. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It was is. The, the GMA T50. <laughs> yeah. So all the footage that you see on the internet so far, they've only been running the engine to about 5,000 revs. Yeah. But now they've they've been given green light from Cosworth to run it up to max and revs, which is like 12.2 or something. So this is the Gordon Murray T50, isn't yes. it? Yes, um, yes. So Gordon Murray um, originally designed the McLaren F1. So yes. anybody who He's remembers that. He's a Formula 1 that, designer, so he designed a lot of the you know championship winning cars in the 80s and 90s yeah well. so there was one with a big fan on the back yeah, wasn't there Brabham fan car yeah. that's it um so that has features in this new car doesn't it it does yeah um and we were we were at millbrook and it just so happened they were there testing this t50 weren't they they were yeah um with um was it dario well dario Dar so the, again i've seen footage of dario in in their mule so they've got a, um a, an ultimate which they call george yeah <laughs> so it's just like an ultimate it's got the running gear of a t50 in it yeah uh, and there's there's quite a lot of videos on youtube of uh dario driving that but this yeah. was the actual t50 we saw yeah wasn't it? yeah so and i guess I, it was still dario i think it was because i saw at one point somebody going around with a painted helmet on and stuff on yeah the handling circuit when i was out so i think it probably was yeah so um so it it's the first time we've got to see it in the flesh so we we watched the launch of it um, so this car's really old school in the fact that um, Gordon Murray's very much about keeping the car small, keeping it light. It's tiny, isn't it? Not working against physics, I suppose, working yeah. with it, because cars in general are getting much bigger, much heavier, so we're having to use a lot of trick technology to make it behave how we want it to behave, despite its weight gain. So he's keeping this as light as possible and keeping it simple. Um, yes. And it is very old school in, in, in many respects, isn't it? In yes. the fact that it's all about being pure mechanical it's engineering. it's the same size as a Boxster, isn't it? It's a tiny thing. Yeah, um, but it's unbelievably fast. And it's probably the first time I've heard a road car that genuinely sounds like a formal, an old Formula oh, 1 car. The noise is just um, mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, we're very lucky we hear the Valkyrie quite a lot, don't yeah. we? Because yeah, Aston do a lot Martin of that. And that version. sounds beautiful, the Valkyrie, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, this sounded so much more purposeful, Oh, didn't it did. It? I think it was louder. Yeah. I think it was louder. Deeper. Um, more of a bass to more it. More high revving. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, really lovely to see it. I mean, what what will it go for? Those I think they're two and a half million quid. Yeah. And there's 106 of them. But they're all go. sold. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you can't have one anyway. No, but it, very, very special car. So Dario... Um, said overall um, what an amazing car it is. And, he raced the best engine he's ever driven, he says. Um, but he was saying about heel and toe, wasn't he? He was struggling with the heel and toe with it um, because it's such a free revving engine that basically it was giving him too many revs even when he was just touching the gas. Um, so that's something that apparently they're working on, isn't it? Is yeah. to try and obviously keep it free revving but give you really the amount you want when you're doing heel and toe. Um, so that you're not right up against the, the limiter with it. Yes, because um, the other thing is that Gordon Murray likes, he likes you to drive it. It's manual. Yeah. You know, so you've got to heel and toe. It won't, yeah. won't auto-blip. No, no. <laughs> and that's what I mean about old school. It's not about, it's really true engineering, um, really what 
I grew up with, I suppose, of thinking what a sports car or supercar would be. Um, and it's very much that, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's 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 really one special car. Um, of course, he had Gordon Murray had huge success, didn't he, with the, the McLaren F1. This is the same. Um, I think it will be the same for, for him. I think this will go down in history. Um, but the big feature is that fan on the back, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, it's centre seat like a McLaren F1 yeah. and the fan on the back. Yeah. And the fan on the back, do you want to say a little bit where that comes from? Yeah, so the Brabham fan, those of you who don't know, so back in the in the sort of early 80s when they had ground effects uh, it was all about controlling the air underneath the car basically if you could suck the air out from under the car it glued itself to the road and the thing with moving it you couldn't have things that move everything had to be static so what Gordon Murray did was he stuck this fan on the back of it and said it was for cooling the engine and he said something like 51% of its function was for engine cooling <laughs> the other 49% sucked the air so it was like a hoover it just yeah. sucked the air out from the car and it glued it to the road it's a bit like ground effects in other words yeah, it was, well it was ground effects yeah. era and um, it, it, the only race it did Nicky Lauder did and it, and it and it won and he sandbagged all through practice <laughs> um, and he apparently set off and Mario Andretti was following it in a, in a Lotus ground effect car and he said it, he described it as it was painted to the road yeah and then they withdrew it so Bernie Eccleston who owned Brabham at the time knew that it would be it was going to cause a war so um, people say it was banned after it won the race. It wasn't banned. They they pulled it. Yeah, yeah. And then I think they banned the technology. But Brabham actually said we can't do any more races. This we only did one race and won it. Yeah. But what's great though is he's used that heritage and put that in this car. So um, which when I saw it uh, a picture of it, I thought well, I'm not sure about the fan, but actually seeing it for real in the flesh, it it it's a really cool feature. But it's not too overbearing either no. um so i, I really the car's so small isn't it and the fan's exactly. not that big on the back yeah because it? It, it, i think in pictures it looks much bigger yeah. than it actually is um and yeah for me gosh it, i mean i can see why it's sold out straight away because oh, that's that's just going to increase well, how often value. do you get to buy it's a bit like the valkyrie really how often do you get to buy a car designed by gordon murray yeah how often do you get to buy a car designed by adrian newey and exactly. that's the, the, you know, they're the two cars and the, what i like is the valkyrie is very very different isn't yeah. it yeah Oh, it is. It's you totally know. different to that. Totally different. Which is great because you get to see designers, engineers do really what they want. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a free-for-all with these cars. And and I just think that's what the industry is about, you know, is these sort of cars, really. Yes. Um, and that's what makes people smile. And you listen to that. And whether you're into cars or not, it would just uh, make you smile, wouldn't it? It's yeah. just so yeah, yeah, special. Yeah. And it reminds us of the good days of Formula One, really, with yeah. the, the noise side. The Formula One cars should sound like that. Yeah, it? well, it, I think it should, honestly. Um, so yeah, anyway, so we'll we'll see. We'll try and get some footage and stuff um, on the channel and things with that. Um, but we weren't allowed to do any filming at Millbrook, unfortunately, we could which is a to shame. It. <laughs> um, because yeah, it, it it's such a special car. But we will try and do some more coverage on that a bit later on on the yeah. channel. Yeah. So if we move on to driving then, yes, it's the really exciting hey, well, topic of well, motorways, <laughs> which Richard decided he wanted to well, talk about this week. Because we do, the, the vast majority of our road driving is on motorways. Yeah, true, we do yeah. a lot of motorway driving. And we um, see a lot, and I don't mean it's horribly bad motorway driving. We do. <laughs> and we talk to a lot of people who won't go on them because they're terrified of oh, them yeah, and all that, that kind too. of stuff. So Absolutely. I thought we'd just briefly go through no, our sense. sort of take on motorway driving really because mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of misconceptions with it really I mean it, it, as much as anything there's, there's been a lot of changes in the way that motorways work because it's something like um, they make up quite a small percentage of the road network but something like 68% of all freight goes on motorways so they're very significant yeah. um, parts of the road network um, and the government have spent more money on motorways than any other road 
type, you know, they've changed all the smart Which motorways. It's probably fairly obvious. Yeah. <laughs> the when you look at the road quality on well, country yeah, roads. Well, yeah, that's true. But with the technology and the signpost and the way that they all work and the, yeah. and the way that they're trying to manage traffic flow on motorways. Yeah. And it is very clever. Yeah. Smart motorways without hard shoulders, we're not quite convinced about. No, I have to say, um, yeah, I have to say I'm, I'm really against not having a hard shoulder um, because there's been quite a few, I don't know how many now, uh, but quite a few fatalities because of smart motorways. Now, I don't want to scare people, put people off going on them. But um, one thing I've advised anybody I know is whatever the problem is with your car, if you can keep it going, you keep it going until you get to one of those safe points. Um, what do they call them? Oh, they're um, like lay-bys, aren't they? Yeah, they're like little lay-bys, but they do vary. Like on the M6, you have a couple close together and then one seems to be miles away from the next one. So, yeah. So all I'd say, punch it, whatever it is, you keep going until you get to a point where you can pull over safely because there's been too many people killed now where they've sat waiting for the lane to shut and it was taking, I read somewhere, averagely 45 minutes for the highways agency to shut the lane, averagely, from when they were notified. Um, so of course, that's a long time sat in a car. So they've had fatalities of people trying to get out, but also people sitting in their cars as well. Um, so. That's the only sort of thing which is debatable at the moment with smart motorways, but the technology is improving, isn't it? Yes. So I do um, think if we can react quicker, yes. then it wouldn't be a problem. Because of everything that you've just said there, there's still less than 3% of all road traffic accidents happen on motorways. Exactly. They are by far the safest road type you're driving well, by, by long. Even with that. Yeah. Because the problem is people go on there and think they're massively dangerous, they're hideously dangerous. They're not at all. Yeah. So you're much more likely to have a serious accident, kill yourself, hurt yourself, whatever, on an A road than you ever are on a motorway. Yeah, that's It's true. just the problem with the motorway is if you stop. Yeah. So you've got you to avoid stopping. You have to stopping. keep going, basically. And we know with hard shoulders, the dangers are just sitting there. You'd have to get out and over the barrier. So, of course, a live lane is just just whatever it is. It doesn't matter how much it screws the car up. You've just got to keep going, haven't you? Um, Absolutely. If, if the opportunity is there, of course, that's the thing. But, yeah, so, sorry, carry on with the... the yeah, the so, so the thing with it is, that is the, the one type of road that you're not taught on. Yeah. Um, though you can now go on them, I think, if you're a learner, but you, nobody's really taught how to drive in a motorway. So, so things like people sitting in the wrong lane and stuff mm. like that is because it's not because they're being they're being belligerent. It's they don't they don't understand that essentially you drive in the left, you like driving lane one, yeah. <laughs> unless you're overtaking. Yeah. The other lanes are purely for overtaking. Yeah, unless it states otherwise on a gantry, which you will find certainly further south you go, um, can be a bit more frequent where it will say stay in lane. Um, but of course, that's because it's so heavy and the traffic predominantly is doing the same speed in every lane that there is no point chopping and changing lanes um, in that situation. But that's really the only time you should really sit in a lane for any length of time, really. Obviously, if you're overtaking, that's fine. You might be overtaking quite a few cars. So that's fine. But once there is a decent gap to pull in, then you should pull back over, ultimately, shouldn't you? Yeah, you should. You're supposed, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to keep to the left. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, if, if you're... If it's a quiet motorway, you're in lane two and there's a truck half a mile away, then there's no harm in staying where you are. There's not yes. a lot of people trying to overtake. But what causes a lot of congestion quite often is people don't move back to the left yeah. when they when they should. Mm -hmm. If somebody isn't moving back to the left, not a lot you can do about it. That's just that's what you're supposed to do. It's a bit like lane three. Yeah, don't what, get your horn and flash yeah, your lights. Because it doesn't make any difference. All you do is call them certain, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. certain names, um, which I know were, yeah. 
I've, I've witnessed a few people doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but essentially with motorways, I I think it's just a, you've got to keep planning your head. You quite often see people get themselves boxed in because I, I tend to find yeah. people like to run in one lane. You see that quite often. Yeah. So you get somebody who comes up behind you, uh, and they'll stay there for twenty minutes till yeah. you move over, and then they'll go past. You know because they don't want to go around but so planning ahead and not getting yourself boxed in really is why i was trying to get people to do on yeah, motorways i think vision is key with that with planning ahead um it sounds really obvious i know but um and i go on about vision pretty much with everything but with motorways i think people have a tendency to really focus on the car ahead of them and that's it and sit far too close so that's all they can see as well um, so the key is keeping a lot of space around you and trying to look well ahead. So I don't mean even the next car, as far as you can see, really. You keep scanning so you're aware behind as well. That's the other factor because that's a constant changing situation as well. So you want regular checks in the mirrors, but also well ahead. So um, you're not reacting to things as they happen then. A lot of people react, so they're not being proactive. They're being reactive to everything Absolutely. that's happening in the situation. Because if you can see a car or a van or something, whatever it is, moving along the lane to your left and it's catching a truck, it's going to want to pull out. Yeah, so so don't, don't wait until he signals and starts looking around. Get out of the way of them. Abs you know? Absolutely. And it's not, obviously, you might be in a situation where you can't. There might be something overtaken, but you're trying to preempt that situation and think, OK, right, I either need to speed up a bit so I can get through before he wants to move or I back off and I let him out. Um, but it's trying to read those situations. And I've had people sat with me saying, I think my nan said how did you know he was going to pull out and things like that and it's just reading the situation i'm just because of course we've been trained to do it i suppose but um, more aware that okay i can see that's closing on that the chances are they're going to want to pull out so i'm going to give them room and just trying to just react to any situation before it happens ultimately so being proactive all the time with everything um, and of course a lot of people in fairness aren't really thinking about driving are they on the motorway i know no. that sounds awful but it's true you're going from a to b you're going to work or whatever it is your mind's probably on other things you might be on you know on the phone obviously legally <laughs> through, through the car um and mind elsewhere but that's that's why it's so important really to try and focus on what you're doing ultimately yeah absolutely and the way the highways are saying about smart smart motorways what you find now a lot of this the new signage and the new signage is designed to keep traffic flowing and what they do, so you'll see a sign that might drop the speed limit to 60 and it'll say pedestrians or animals on the road. And you go further down the road and you expect to see a herd of zebra running across the road, and, <laughs> but you never you never see them. And if you don't see them and you don't stop, it's worked perfectly. Because what they're trying to do, they, 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 from the psychology and the, and the research that's done, if you tell people why you've slowed them down, they're more likely to think, oh, right, I better slow down somebody in the road, or there's a cow yeah. running across the road, whatever it is yeah. that makes you drive that, obey the speed limit actually works quite well. And because they've slowed the traffic five or six miles further away from the incident, rather than stopping it for the incident and then getting it going again, the whole motorway network works quite well. Yeah. So they're very clever, you know, yeah. and, and they're trying to help us. And, you know, that's what smart motorways are about. Like we said about the hard shoulder, we're not sure about that, but a lot of the technology that's in smart motorways is very and, clever. And I do believe, rather than aborting smart motorways and putting a hard shoulder back, is there should be more um certainly more rescue points uh laybys and clearly we need to work on the reaction times because obviously it's designed that they can see everything on every stretch can't they yeah but it's uh, there's also a delay somewhere with actually shutting the lane so that's obviously the bit that needs working on because if that works quick enough then hopefully you stop the lane goes then with a big cross on it 
and people move over straight away and you is should the do, ideal got cross, situation. You shouldn't drive any further than that. No, yeah, because a lot of people still do that. They'll keep driving for quite a while in a, on a lane that isn't live, um, which you can't, that is illegal, you're not allowed to do that. So, right. um, so yeah, it's all things just worth bearing in mind. But yeah, obviously I know I've said about the, the negatives of it, but overall they are by far the, the safest roads you can drive on. And it's just thinking about it a bit more, because I think when you're in a straight line, going for miles it's so easy to switch off with motorways more than anything else mm. and have silly incidents that you just don't need to have and it's just trying to remind yourself that you might have done that route a lot but don't ever get complacent with it that's that's kind of the key thing with driving in general is your regular routes don't get complacent just because you do them all the time absolutely so we're going to go on to motorsport yes as always our favorite subject because we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so we, we, we have a grand prix yeah um so, so we've watched collie haven't we yeah so it's sunday morning so it hasn't yeah. happened yet so um, yeah so there's a few things to talk about before we get to that point which yeah. the first one being um alonzo's experiment in sochi oh yeah because it's funny because they went out <laughs> on the way down round to the grid alonzo shot off down this gate road at turn one and came back on at turn three or whatever it is yeah and he was like oh, what did you do that for and of course in the race he just kept his foot in and went shot down the straight down the skate road <laughs> He came back on it too. Sorry, three. I love Alonso, so you can all have a go at him, but I think he's great. So, but then of course, what it turns out because he's <laughs> such a bright bloke, gets to Turkey and he said, Well, they did it on purpose to see what the reaction would be. Because he was saying that several races this year, he's felt like a bit of an idiot because he's done everything he can to stay on the road, and somebody's just gone round him on the, on the runoff and come back on in front, yeah. and he's been like, well, Hang on a minute, and they stayed where they are. So, he wanted to see what the reaction would have he did it, and of course, immediately the FIA jumped all over it and all that kind well, of stuff. Well, so, they, they did and didn't because actually they didn't really do they didn't is in on the publicity side uh, and there's been a lot of talk about it but there was no form of him being penalized or even any question of that because it hadn't been reported which i didn't know they can't do anything unless something's reported which i didn't really know i thought with track limits in general and things you didn't have to report it and then they look at it but apparently that's what um well, who was it? Uh, Anthony Davison was saying that um, that that's why nothing was done about him because nobody reported it because he went across back on. He gave one of the places back and ended up back in his starting position anyway. So technically he did nothing wrong. No. <laughs> but I think his point more than anything is we've got these crazy runoff areas now. He's used to racing. He's going to be the most experienced man in F1 once Kimi goes. He's used to racing on all sorts of circuits. He's obviously been over to the States. And I think like a lot of us, we don't get why there has to be so much tarmac. No. Um, I understand they're trying to juggle the safety, but you put more tarmac there, drivers will use it. And well, I think that's what absolutely. he found frustrating is he's trying to keep within the white lines, doing all the correct stuff. And people are taking the mick and, the, and using that opportunity of saying, oh, well, I was trying to avoid that, so I've gone this way. But seeing the gain out of that. I mean, Monza this year, loads of people lost their laps because they were running wide coming out of the Parabolica to go down the pit straight. You know, lap after lap, oh, deleted lap, deleted lap. And then they showed some footage from somewhere as early and right by the edge of the road was grass. Yeah. Because nobody ran off the road. Yeah. Nobody, went, nobody had a shunt there. Yeah. You think, why don't we just put a strip of grass there? But then? that's the other thing is, is it that safe when it encourages you to push even more? Yes. Um, because I do believe you can feel too safe in environments and take more risks because of it. And I think that is something that we're seeing a bit more in general with some of the moves now, we've seen it with Max and, and Lewis. Um, I think, yeah, it just, it's certainly something that 
I would like to see change. I, I don't think we should have, we should have runoff, but I don't think it should be tarmac. Uh, and certainly not acres and acres of tarmac. I just think no. that's just crazy. And and I think that's where Alonso was coming from, is he, he wanted to make a statement. He's fairly controversial. He's going to say what he thinks. He's always been that way, which sometimes hasn't worked for him, admittedly. Yeah. But I do get his point in this situation that you're going to get wound up by it. And why is it OK to do that? So, yeah, so that's why he did it so blatantly. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, so that was quite entertaining. So, anyway, moving on. So that we've got Red Bull and AlphaTauri running white liveries. in Honda yeah. Republic. So it should have been the Japanese Grand Prix this weekend. Yeah, because I, I honestly wondered why they were honouring Honda in this specific one. But that's exactly it, isn't it? It was yes. meant to be the Japanese Grand Prix, but because of COVID, uh, unfortunately, they couldn't go there, so they had to cancel that, and they've put this in their place. And um, I think they've pretty much said that Honda are actually going to carry on, but in the background. So right. that's probably why they've kept Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's done him a favour. Yeah, well, absolutely, it has, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he, he's, we'll go on to qualifying there, but he's performed pretty well, actually, yeah, he's this weekend, all right, actually, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, should we talk about Turn 8, then? Yeah, so this is the key thing with Turkey, right the way back from when they first went there. And, and I remember... Um, when they were, when they last went there in the sort of what 2009 10 11 somewhere yeah. around there there was like the crowd was something like 5000 people and they were interviewed probably fernando and he and he waved at somebody in the crowd because he basically knew he knew most of the people that stood watching <laughs> but the one of the yeah, it's an it's awesome family. track it's an astonishing track and it's got turn 8 has got four apexes yeah, and it's flat that's amazing out amazing to watch the drivers all love it and you see them all come in and they all love the track mm. And they've all said that pretty much and actually i was watching with rich um and on board a lewis's lap yes and one thing that stood out and i've done a little thing on my on my facebook with it also i'll share it on other social media things but his smoothness and finesse through that apex so um four apexes and he barely changes the adjustment on the wheel movement well, it's, it's a like, pole lap as well it's a qualifying yeah, lap so on the he's limit. right on the limit and he's barely moving his hands through those four apexes so he sets it up at the first one and it goes in out in out in out and and it's amazing i mean there is subtle adjustments but we're talking very minute adjustments really yeah and it just highlighted like we say so much to people about smoothness and finesse that gets you to the true limit of grip. Um, and that's really what he was doing there, wasn't it? Yeah. And even with the, the tighter corners, what was fascinating is he was doing like a very soft, gentle input initially, and then speeding up his hands and steering quite quickly after. Mm. But it was never, ever aggressive initially. So he's never shocking the car and losing the grip. He sort of like gently introduces it, then speeds it up. And I just thought, you know, the, the technique involved when you know what you're looking at to a point is fascinating what he could do. And the other thing they've started to do a bit more is a bit more with data. Yeah, this weekend, which has been brilliant. Which has been brilliant. So a couple of, again, with Leclerc over Norris and Hamilton over Verstappen, how they were using less brake pressure. Yeah. yeah. So not just standing on the brakes, you know, like slight longer, lighter braking, which is something I was taught um, when I first started racing. One particular guy I've talked about before, a guy called Malcolm Barfoot, used to say that quite a lot. A longer, lighter brake yeah. will will gain you a much more accurate entry speed and you'll gain more from, from yeah. doing that. And that's basically what they're doing is a longer, lighter brake. Yeah. So By degrees, still like 4G rather than 4.5. You will see this if you watch it. I mean, it depends where you're watching it from. But with um, the Sky F1, they've been really good with that recently. So they actually were showing a data trace yeah. through Turn 9 of Max and Hamilton. Um, and you could see the difference. So Hamilton was actually on the brakes for longer than Max, 
but he was wasn't breaking as hard and so it was interesting seeing the difference then through the corner and the outcome of who was getting on the power quicker afterwards so they've done a really good job actually sky with that Mm. Um, and I, I say Sky, I, I might be the same on Channel 4 and things, I don't know. But, well, it's Amazon technology, it's AWS, um, isn't it? Yeah, it's been really, really good because also in free practice, it's become, I think, more engaging because they're now giving you a lot more um, like uh, sector times and the mini sectors as well. So they're able to put together um, laps of what and, and predict what fuel they're running, all that kind of stuff. So you get a lot more information. So somebody like Sykes was quite far down in free practice, but it turned out he was doing lots of long, heavy fuel runs, basically, because he's going to start at the back. So they were practicing something completely different with him than Leclerc. But it makes it a lot more interesting when you know what you're looking at and getting to see data, different sectors. Um, and I think it will teach people an awful lot if you're into your cars and driving, just by watching that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff, honestly. Yeah. Really, really good. So, Science has got a new power unit, so that's why it's got to start at the back, obviously. Yeah, for a whole, whole new power unit. Yeah, um, um, Leclerc's done really well, so I think we should talk a little bit about qualifying, really. Yes, so Lewis is quick, he's been dominant all weekend, to be honest. Yeah. And I think what they did on Friday... Probably was, the most dominant. Yeah, he was a lot say. quicker than anybody on Friday, and I think that's when Mercedes thought, well, we'll change the engine. Yeah. We'll set the car up to come through the field. Yeah. Um, so he's quick, he's qualifying but he starts 11th doesn't he yeah so technically he's not on pole so he's not the pole sitter no. <laughs> so he's the fastest man but not pole setter pole but not pole sitter yeah absolutely <laughs> so bottas will uh gain the pole i mean bottas are close to getting to him quite a bit actually he's so um, chilled now isn't he yeah bottas seems so much happier now um i think i honestly think he needed to get out of that seat and, and start again and, and i think it just mentally has messed with his head so much and he just He's performing better. He looks happier. So that's great to see. And we'll see off the back of that what he does today. Um, see well, he's on he the front on. row with Max, isn't he? So Max is on yeah. the front row. And Leclerc managed to pull a lap out of the bag quite late. And that's the, they were really struggling in Q1 um, and 2. Yeah, he's running a very low downforce setup. Absolutely. He's running a really, trying to basically have it ready for the race, yeah. is what he was saying. So it's got a very low downforce. But of course, and it was slippery conditions, so it was wet and dry in places. So he didn't really have much downforce, where normally you'd have more downforce in those conditions. Um, but he's such a good driver that he was able to work it out. So he worked it out. So by Q3, he, he, okay, late on, but he worked it out and got up there, didn't he? he so, did, yeah. so he'll be technically third, um, yes. but, but he obviously qualified fourth officially, didn't he? Yeah. Um, before, before the penalties came in. Um, and then we've got Gasly. I mean, one thing with Gasly, I, I don't know what he has to do to get a top drive again because he's just been so consistent. For me, at the moment, he's a standout, standout for me oh, as yeah, a totally. driver. Yeah. Um, and it's proved the point time and time again that something's wrong at Red Bull in the main team. I think the car has been completely designed around Max and I think Max might have a slightly unusual driving style that it doesn't fit with a lot of drivers because Perez is finding it just as difficult they were talking that um Perez finds it very hard um on the on the corners where you have to really carry the brake in so he's really struggling with that confidence and the same with Ricardo actually they were saying the same about him mm. transferring to McLaren he's really he's great at being late breaker like he always has but he's struggling to get that feel and balance with the quicker stuff but carrying the brake in because he's finding it too nervous and Perez was saying a very similar thing and I think because a car for, for Red Bull has been designed so much around Max, 
that other drivers are getting into it and just finding it too nervous to drive because it just doesn't suit their driving style. Because there aren't many drivers that have it like that. Alonso has it like that, doesn't mm. he? Where it's very nose-sharp and very oversteery at the back, but there aren't many drivers. Um, so that's been a yeah an interesting kind of uh, thing, certainly. But for Gasly, I just think he deserves another shot. He was so young at the time. I don't think he probably wants to go to the main seat at Red Bull, but he needs a shot in a, a top team, I think. Yeah. But uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens so we'll there. See. And then Alonso, of course. And then so Alonso. Alonso. Um, so what's that make him fifth in? Yes. In in the in the race start. So he so, was phenomenal watching him all through free practice, qualifying. Um, as I said, he he has a very sharp nose, very oversteery car. But he's just so ahead of the car all the time. You can see he's reacting to things before they've happened. He's so in tune with it. And the Alpine's not quick. I mean, you can see with Ocon as. Alonso's got his eye in more and more and more. Ocon's struggling to handle Alonso, isn't he? Mm, he is, yeah. And that's going to be the thing, and that's probably the, in the race. We don't know if it's going to be wet. Is the first thing, yeah. Because obviously the the thing is that Hamilton has got the quickest car, and um, he thinks he can win the race, which I'm sure he probably can. Um, is if it's wet, it's going to be much harder for him to come through the field because he won't be able to see. Yeah, that's true. But for me, the problem he's going to have, he's probably going to get up to probably sixth fairly quickly. Yeah. Uh, but then he's going to be stuck behind Perez, then Alonso. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, oh, yeah. and, and, and then Leclerc. And then Leclerc isn't going to let. Yeah. So he's, he's going to hit a wall. But there is a quite a long straight at Turkey. So. Yeah. But Toto was saying that um, when they were trying to get the car set up for the race, that they were struggling even with um, a Haas and with a Williams. They were getting stuck behind and not getting through. But then that said, I don't know if he's just playing it safe and playing it down by saying all of that. Because, like you say, there is a long straight, and with DRS, it doesn't matter really then about you know aero and following and things because they suddenly got so much more power, mm. they just breeze past, don't they? So, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's going to be the battle for all the drivers with Lewis is that that long straight, yes. How do you keep him behind in that situation? So it'd be interesting be, to see. So unless you've got the arrest as well. Yeah. So, I mean, do we know if it's going to be wet today? Or no, 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 yeah. no, no. Okay, no. so we'll, we'll find that yeah, out. We'll find that out. And we'll report um, so, back next week as to what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, interactive question. Um, I thought of something that I will ask myself, I suppose. Um, if you had to pick a driver coach to be your driver coach, who would it be and why? So, what would you say? That's Rich? a very good question because my default setting would be Rob Wilson. Okay. Just because I think you, know, you might need to explain about. So, Rob so Rob Wilson is basically the F one driver coach, uh, and he's an aging hippie. He was a very good racing driver, but he's all—he was—he's an aging hippie, and he's—he and plays in a band and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but he's worked at times with like over eighty percent of yeah, F one field and stuff. And he and I love his philosophy on driving, and he listened to him talk, and it's all about the subtleties of it and introducing things to the car and talk to it and shout at it and all that. And yeah. I just love the way things. So I'd love to go and spend a couple of days with Rob Wilson, to be honest. Yeah, so that would be your. That'd be me. Um, I don't, yeah. So, so I asked the question, and I don't really know, because um, I always say the same people. But I honestly think, uh, for me, it probably would be um, Alonso because uh, I took out for well, what a couple of years ago now, Martin Whitmarsh and a couple of other people over over the years, and everybody says the same. Who would you say has been the best driver? I mean, talent-wise, so forget what they've actually achieved, but talent-wise, who's been the best driver in your era? And everybody, when I ask that, says Alonso. And I would love to actually 
sit and, and get some coaching off Alonso to really sort of see his why. Philosophy on it, yeah. yeah, because you think, well, okay, why is that though? Why? And you can tell even with the commentary and stuff, everybody's a little bit in awe of Alonso with his ability. You can even just sit, tell when listening to Jensen Button and Anthony Davidson, and you know they're like, well, if one man can cope with it, it's definitely Alonso, and he just has this air of everybody just knows he's. He's the best all-rounder, but why? And that's what I would love to. I mean, I would love to, to sit. find find out, to be honest. Yes, and I mean, I'd love to sit with Lewis and talk about driving. Yeah. Just to get how he goes about his craft and what yeah. you know how he what he tries to get the car to do, and mm -hmm. you know, I'd love to do that with him. Yeah, because he'll work so much harder at it than people will give him credit for. Yeah. Um, because it was so easy to, you know, look at things on social media and and judge, but honestly, I. Uh, you can't be that good and at that level and not work bloody hard at it. And, yeah, and what fascinates me is how different they are. So growing up, my hero was Nigel Mansell, and Mansell always liked a little tiny steering wheel because he was he liked to muscle the car. And I've heard him talk about his big thing was he always wanted it up on his tiptoes. Yeah. So it was like a rally car almost, like yeah. it would dart around. And Because you've got to have massive ability to do that, yeah. to cope with, and this is what they say about Lewis, Lewis doesn't mind what the car does on the way in, because yeah. his, his ability to feel what it's doing and react mm -hmm. to it before it's happened is so much it's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, you know, he makes it walk on water and the yeah. greats do. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to just sit and talk to him about how much it just gets it up on its tiptoes. Yeah. But you don't see it because he's so yeah. good, you don't see it. Absolutely. And that's the thing, it's so smooth. So when people think tiptoes, they probably picture somebody sort of soaring at the wheel. But yeah. actually, with modern cars especially, that's really not the case because they've got a lot of air and things. So you're feeling, feelings a, a little bit different, aren't they, to older cars where the, the rubber's quite small, it's hard, so the car's constantly four-wheel drifting. They're not really like that now, are no. they? No. But you can still get a car up on its tiptoes and dancing around, but like Rich says, almost before it actually happens, before it actually properly dances, isn't it? Um, There's a great story of, um, of we've talked a little bit about uh, Ronnie Peterson in the past, and um, uh, Ronnie Peterson was one of the great natural ability drivers, but he was terrible at setting cars up because he'd just drive around everything. Mm. And Lotus came, he was driving Lotus, and they came in and the rear tyres were on fire. And, he, and the first thing he said was, it's understeering. And they were like, Ronnie, your back tyres are on fire. And he says, yeah, well, otherwise it'll understeer. Oh, yeah, so you're driving around the <laughs> so problem. Around yeah. It, yeah. But that's what's so impressive, isn't it, with some of the, the greats, like you say, they can get into anything and work it out. And you, we saw this with Leclerc yesterday. He really had to work that that car out, didn't he, yeah, for those yeah, conditions, because yeah. it was not set up for that. And for me, and he's he the it. one who's, who's, who's most like Alonso, because in the race, he's when he, Alonso's dangerous for everybody else because of how relentless he is in races yeah he's always there yeah. um and that's what the clerk's a bit like that yeah absolutely so we'll, we'll obviously anyway, talk yeah. about the formula one uh, <laughs> um, results in the next episode uh, as well and we've got a few things to talk about next week because there's loads going on this weekend yeah, a lot of sort of gossipy stories GT, and things like that world challenge btcc yeah yeah loads of stuff going on behind the scenes with andretti buying alfa romeo and you know so kind of more behind the scenes in the industry stuff. Um, yeah. And of course, we're going to talk more about road cars as well. So, um, yeah, so I think that'll be it for this week. And cool, um, yeah. we've mentioned, obviously, people coming on the podcast, which they are. We're just purposely saving them for more of the winter, just because, obviously, at some point, the motorsport starts to die down. So yeah. we're going to do... Because um, we've been trying to get Jack Harvey in, haven't we? And Jack's moving IndyCar teams, and we're just waiting for all yeah. that to be settled. And so then he can... can then announce properly yeah. and things. So um, we've got quite a few coming on but you'll notice it will suddenly happen a lot over the winter just because we were trying to 
make sure there's plenty of content for of course when the motorsport bit dies down over the winter so yeah so um we'll obviously announce those as we go all right we'll catch you later see you next week bye, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Veloce Podcast, fast and fluid conversation with Kat Impey and Richard Bott. Don't forget to subscribe via your chosen podcast provider and never miss an episode of the Veloce Podcast.